Okay, we're going to find out what's so scary about evangelism this morning. Isn't that our first, second topic? Yes, it is. So, glad you're here. We're going to have a word of prayer, and Dr. Moyer is going to take over from there. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the things that you have done for us. That somebody in our life took the time to share with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we heard it, and we believed it, and what a difference you've made in our lives. We rejoice in that. And that's why we do meet Sunday after Sunday, just to praise your name for what you have done. Today we meet again, and we have opportunity to hear from Dr. Moyer and the things he would share with us from your word that would help us to um, be more uh, confident in our evangelism. And I just pray, Lord, that you're blessed this time, and thank you for him and he being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. That was weak. Good morning. That's getting better. Good morning. That's almost there. Good morning. <laughs> it is great to be with you again. I mentioned, is this turned on? It is, okay. I mentioned every time I've been with you, you've been such a great group to be with and thoroughly enjoy being back with you. Whenever I have a weekend like this and there's so much you'd like to say and so little time to say it in, I always feel like the guy who is driving 80 miles an hour on Route 82. And a policeman stopped and said, I'm going to have to arrest you for speeding. The guy said, for speeding, you got to be crazy. Sign says 82, I was only going 80. The policeman said, that's the route number you fool. That's not the speed limit. Guy said, I'm sure the lot of you said something. You should have seen me on 501. <laughs> I pick up the travel about 501, but hopefully you find it all too beneficial. Now, how many of you had a good night's rest? How many had a good night's rest? Okay, to most of us, and I am very sorry to hear that. Because I have found when the people of Philadelphia Church have a good night's rest, they completely forget everything you taught them in the night before. I'm so afraid that may have happened. I better find out. Last night, I reduced everything I said to one sentence. I want to see how many of you remember. Some of you are going to your notes. That's called cheating. God calls it sin. <laughs> Without looking at your notes, what is that one sentence? Say it loudly and clearly. Love cannot be just words that come from my mouth, but a language that comes from my life. Again, words cannot be, love cannot be, just words that come from my mouth, but a language that comes from my life. Now, this morning we're going to have that second part, and that is what's so scary about evangelism, and how do you overcome those fears? Now, does everybody have one of those booklets or bookmarks? Because I'll be going over that a little bit later. Does anyone not have that? If you don't have a booklet or bookmark, would you raise your hand? Because they've got to be together. Booklet and bookmark, both together. Booklet and bookmark. If you don't have one, raise your hand. If you got them, they come in. We come in. They were free. They're now five dollars. But if you don't have one, raise your hand. Okay. A booklet and a bookmark. So we're all together. Okay. Anyone else? Just raise hand if you can get one of each.
Raise your hand if you did not get a booklet and a bookmark. few more here at the left don't have one. Anyone else? Okay. I think we're together. Anyone else doesn't have a book or bookmark? You guys are doing a good job. Anyone need anything else? Anyone need $100? Just raise your hand. (laughs) Okay, let's try and get started. What's so scary about evangelism and how do you overcome those fears? Now, notice how I start. Most believers admit they do not speak to others about Christ with any consistency. Ask the question, why don't you? And they will answer in one word. A number of years ago, I was speaking down in the Bahamas, uh, down there suffering for Jesus. And one day, I go into the straw market, and I said to one other woman behind the counter, what's free? She said, the only thing I know is free is salvation. I said, why is it free? She said, because all you got to do is receive it. I said, why do you just have to receive it? She said, because Jesus already paid the price when he died for you. That woman did not know me from Adam. And yet, the first chance she had, she said to me, Christ died for you. Now, I don't think there's anyone here with any kind of walk with Christ that would not like to have that same kind of boldness. But there's one four-letter word to tell you what our problem is. All of us know what a four-letter word is. Say it out loud. Fear. F-E-A-R. That's what you write in there. Fear. F-E-A-R. Now, with that in mind, what, let's continue. What is it that we are afraid of? Years ago, I wrote an article for a National Magazine, and the article was entitled, What is So Intimidating About Evangelism? In the following two weeks, we received over 300 letters in response to the article, because our people identified with it. And this mini-seminar grew out of that article. Now, there's no way I can tell you everything I'd like to in these four areas. I'm not going to try. What I am going to try to do is give you new perspective a new way of looking at these four areas. Because sometimes perspective changes everything. I love the story of the girl who went home from college. And she said, Dear Mom and Dad, I have dropped out of school, moved in with a guy, expecting a baby in May, looking forward to seeing you soon, your daughter Barbara. Then she wrote, P.S. Not the above is true, but I did get an F in my last exam. <laughs> sometimes perspective changes everything. <laughs> And what I want to do is give you a new perspective, new evidence for areas. Okay, what are they? Here we go, number one. I do not know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. I don't know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. In other words, we don't know how to go from golf to God. Now, with each one of these, I want to ask and answer two questions. What's the problem? What's the solution? Okay, first of all, what's the problem? Number one, you're using the wrong approach. You're using the wrong approach. You're using the wrong approach. 
You say, Larry, what do you mean by that? Three things are the R.A. You begin by listening, not talking. You begin by listening, not talking. Now, look at that next line. The goal is to get them talking well. What is the next word? Say it out loud. You listen. People good at turning conversations are not good talkers. They're good listeners. And the whole time you're listening, you're considering how you might turn the conversation from golf to God. But you don't have to be a good talker. You've got to be a good listener. Okay, B. You begin by freeing up, F-R-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. You begin by freeing up, F-R-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. God gives you a dynamite mind. When you free up, it's a freeze up. That mind's in operation, and you begin to think of all kinds of ways to turn the conversation. But you've got to free up, not freeze up. Okay, C. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. Now look at that next line. That's why it would take some people longer to turn the conversation than others. If you ask me in any given conversation, how long does it take you to go from golf to God? I would say sometimes five minutes. Sometimes 15 minutes. Sometimes 50 minutes. Sometimes five hours. On occasion, five days. But the flow of the conversation has to be natural. It cannot be forced. Sometimes when we are having trouble turning conversations, it's because we're trying to do it too abruptly. As you can imagine, I do a tremendous amount of flying. And I have found that airplanes are great opportunities of witness. I've also found the rougher the flight, the better the opportunity. <laughs> but one time, I flying from Dallas to Philadelphia. The woman sitting next to me had gotten on the plane out in Vegas, checked in Dallas, also going on to Philadelphia. When she told me everything about Las Vegas, Time Magazine told me two weeks later. Time Magazine article was boring. She sure told me everything. After we talked for a while, she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a speaker. I'm in the ministry. She said, are you? I said, do you have some interest in spiritual things? She said, you know, I used to keep God at arm's length, but last year my uncle died of cancer after being diagnosed from us earlier. My grandmother's now in the hospital. I'm more interested in God than I've ever been before. I said, well, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're in heaven? She said, no, they haven't. I said, may I? She said, quote, if you would, that would be the greatest favor any human being has ever done. There are 30,000 feet above sea level. I had the privilege of leading her to Christ. Now, it might be a minister helpful. Sure. Was essential in no way. All you would have had to do is demonstrate any kind of interest in spiritual things. She'd have taken off with you just like she did with me. But a part of the conversation has to be natural, cannot be forced. Okay, now, with that in mind, what's solution? Number one, enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the conversation. Now, do me a favor. Take that word enjoy and underline it again. Now, once you underline it, now draw a circle around it. Now, once you draw a circle around it, now box it in. Now, once you box it in, now put a star on the side of it. Now, once you put a star on the side of it, now put an asterisk on the other side. Now, the only problem is you can't read the word. <laughs> but the point is, enjoy the conversation. Have a blast talking to people. Now, what do you talk about? Here it is. Talk about three areas. Here they are. A, family. B, job. 
see background. Talk about the family, talk about job, talk about background. Now, why? Because any non-Christian is expert in three areas. Family, job, background. They know a whole lot more than you do. So you take them to an area where you're an expert, to an area where they are, and to an area where they are an expert, to an area where you are, and that's what it means to know Christ personally. It's all about family, job, the background. Now, I don't want you to have this stuff here. I want you to have a here and here. So what are the three areas? A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, B, <laughs> Just what you hit with me. No, my family job background. Okay, number two. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Now, why God? Two reasons. And why God? Because God is not expect you to bring anybody to Christ. That is not your job. God's expecting you to bring Christ to anybody. So you gotta be the direct kid. Let him be direct her. Now, what does that mean? Two things A. Be open response to whatever he wants to do. And B, pray as you listen. Listen as you pray. What unbelievers never know is a whole time I'm having a mouth-mouth talk with them. I'm having a heart-to-heart talk with God. And I'm asking God for two things who they are. Ask God for two things. They are direction and boldness. I say, God, give me direction. God, give me boldness. You know, I hope they send you out of your seat to know that in 49 years of ministry, never once have I asked God for that, that and did not get it. If I did not have it, it's because I did not ask Him for it. Now again, not here, but here and here. What are the three things you talk about? A, B, C, two things you ask God for. They are direction, boldness. Okay, three. Three, benefit from experience. Three, benefit from experience. Now look at that next line and tell me if I'm reading it correctly. The more you do it, the tougher it becomes. Your repertoire transition decreases. Is that right? No, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Because your repertoire increases. You know why those who do it well do it well? Because they do it all the time. And the more you do it, you build up a whole repertoire of how you turn a conversation. And one day you're talking to someone and you think, I know what I said last week got the conversation going. Maybe that will help this week. And those who do well do well because they do it often. you got to benefit from experience. Okay, four. As you listen and talk, ask questions. Ask questions that determine if this conversation might be an open door for the gospel. Now, don't get hung up on the questions. Get hung up on the kind of questions they are. What do you think the future holds for most of us? People love to talk about the future, even though they're scared to death about it. Two, do you think people are there more worried and confused than they used to be? Why do you think the problems in the world seem to be getting worse, not better? And then five, move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Now let me ask you something. Did I say to you, go from secular to the gospel? Is that what I said? No, what did I say? Secular to what? Then the gospel. You need some kind of bridge. You can't say, I am delighted to hear you're an airline pilot. Have you come to a point in your life that you know if you're to die, you go to heaven? He's going to think, boy, is she afraid of flying? (laughs) 
Instead, you need some kind of bridge. So having said what you said, now I'll say something like this. Do you enjoy reading about religious topics or subjects? Have you attended or become involved in any church in the area? Have you ever examined some of the teaching of the Bible? Don't you think the most important thing of all is that we know for sure we're going to die? Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you can know? May I? Now I hope, if nothing else, that gives you a new perspective, a new way of thinking about how you turn a conversation. What are the three things to talk about? A, B, C, two things you ask God for. Direction, boldness, three steps you take. Secular, virtual, gospel. You guys are great. Okay, number two. What's the second bond? Number two. I do not know how to present the gospel. I do not know how to present the gospel. Now, there are those who come up with their own method. We have a son who's now 40 years old teaching at a school in Florida. But when he was about five years old, he decided if his dad was going to be an evangelist, then he would be one too. And he is a people person who has never met a stranger. So he would walk up to anyone anywhere and say, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? <laughs> That's where we start. He'd walk up to anyone anywhere and say, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? It's amazing how that opens conversations right up to spiritual things. And one day, he was in a hardware store. He runs up to the counter. He says, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? The fellow was surprised how abruptly the question came up. He said, I go to church. I live good. I try to do what's right. And David looked at my wife and he said, he ain't going to make it. <laughs> at that point, my wife had her door of opportunity. <laughs> it was her job to bail out the conversation. But all of us know, five-year-olds give away stuff we can't. So we better talk about it. Okay, what's the solution? Number one. Learn the, uh, no, no, hey, what's the problem? Hey, what's the problem? Number one, you may not have cleared your mind the message of the gospel and the meaning of saving faith. Now, what do we mean by that? A, the message of the gospel is Christ what? Died for our sins and what? Rose from the dead. I tell people, as I've been telling them for 49 years, the Bible is 66 books. The Bible is 10 words. You don't have to know the Bible to evangelize. you got to know the gospel. The Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are those ten words? Same again. Christ died for sins and rose from dead. Okay, B. The meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. Meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. Look at that next verse. Most of I say to you, he who what? Believes in me has everlasting life. The one verse of the Bible is specifically written. Tell how I received eternal life was the Gospel of John. Ninety-eight times that book it says, believe, 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 believe. It means to trust. One time right here in Oklahoma, two men were out on a boat. The boat capsized. One man could swim, the other could not. So the man who could swim took a gas tank, emptied it, pushed the man who could not swim. Man who could not swim took that gas tank, pulled it back under him, rested his way upon it, and trusted it to save him, and it did. God has us to come to him as sinners, recognize Christ died for us, and trust in him alone as you're on your way to heaven. Be sure you're clear on the gospel and the meaning of saving faith. Now, what's the second reason you don't know how? Number two, you have never learned a what? Anyone know the answer? Never learned a what? You have never learned a what? You have never learned a what? Method. method. You have never learned a method. 
God, in kindness I do not deserve, has allowed me to speak in every state over 60 foreign locations. I've not met a soul on the face of the earth that's consistent. That does not have a basic method. Now, with that in mind, one, learn the bad news, good news. Learn that bad news, good news approach in the gospel. It's treat a thousand talk about the Savior with clarity and confidence. Now, with that in mind, do me a favor. Take your hand out and lay it to the side for just a minute. Okay? And pick up your book of calls. May I ask you a question? And let's look at it awfully briefly. Follow with me. Open up what's it say. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? The Bible contains both bad news and good news. The bad news is something about you. The good news is something about God. Let's talk about the bad news first. Now, all this is bad news and good news. Two points, two verses. Two illustrations for each. You're going to have the whole thing down. Let's look at all three briefly. Bad news number one. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, All together can we out loud. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the illustration. Sin means we have missed the mark. For example, when we lie, hate, lust, cheat, break promises, gossip. We have missed the standard God has set. Suppose you and I each throw a rock and trying to hit the North Pole. You might throw further than I do, but neither of us would hit the goal. In the same way, we all fall short of God's dear perfection. In thoughts, words and deeds, but not been perfect. Verse 4 and 70, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, the rock. You can't hit the North Pole. God says, then we've all come short. Then I'll say, now I think you agree, that's bad news. He said, yes it is. Then look what's at the bottom. But the bad news gets what? Worse. Bad news number two, the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.3 says, all together out loud, for the wages of sin is death. There's the illustration. When we are hired to do a job, we get paid. That money is our wages, that's what we've earned. The Bible says, by sin we've earned death, means we deserve to die and be separated from God forever. So bad news, two points, two verses, two illustrations. Well, sinners, Romans 3.23, the rock. The penalty for sin is death, Romans 6.23, wages. Then I say, now I think you agree that's bad news. He said, yes it is. Then I say, look what's at the bottom. But God made a way for us to live and be with him forever. So after the bad news, he gives the good news. The good news, number one, Christ died for you. Romans 5a says, all together out loud, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's the illustration anyone can identify with. Suppose you're in a hospital die of cancer. And I come to you and say, let's take the cancer cells out of my, your body and put them into my body. If that were possible, what would happen to me? He said, you die. I said, what happened to you? I'd live. I say, why is that? He said, you took my place. I would die, you would live. I'd die in your place. The Bible says Christ took the penalty reserved for sin, placed upon himself, and died in our place. Three days later, Christ came back to prove that sin, death, and be conquered. His claim to be God were true. So the good news is Christ died for you. Roman revived a cancer. Then I'll say, no, I think you agree that's good news. He said, yes, it is. Then I'll say, look what's at the bottom. Just as the bad news got worse, the good news gets what? Better. Good news number two, you can be saved through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, all together, once more out loud, for by grace, undeserved favor, you have been saved, delivered from sin's penalty through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, faith means what? Trust. You must depend on Him alone, forgiving you eternal life. Just as you trust a chair to hold you, through an effort of your own, so you must trust Jesus Christ gets you heaven, through an effort of your own. You may say, I'm religious, I go to church, I'm a good person, I help the poor, I don't do anything really bad. I've had people say all five of those in the same conversation. These are all good, but good living, going to church, helping the poor, any other good thing you do, can I get heaven. You must trust in Christ alone, God will give you eternal life as a gift. Good news like the bad news. Two points, two verses, two illustrations. Christ died for you, Romans 5, a cancer. You can be saved through faith if Jesus is not in the chair. My concluding question is, is there anything to keep you from trusting Christ right now? Now, the remainder of that simply explains how I help them think to keep them from trusting Christ and pray with them as they tell God they're trusting Christ and that they can benefit from on your own. But simply a bad news, good news approach. Give the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how I can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news, good news. Two points, two verses, two illustrations for each. You have it all down. Bad news, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, the rock. Penalty sins, death. Romans 6.23, wages. Good news, Christ died for you. Romans 5, a cancer. You can be saved through faith. If you say not in the chair. My concluding question is, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? But now the comments often made the test of any teacher is not what the teacher taught. It's what the students have learned. So let's see how well you have it. Begin with the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how I can know for sure going to heaven? Bad news and then what? Good news. Two points, two verses, and two what? Illustration. Yeah, we're all down. Everybody. First point of bad news. Well, sinners versus... Romans 3.23, illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Penalty is death versus? Romans 6.23, illustration is? Wages. Good news, point number one. Christ died for you versus? Romans 5a, illustration is? Cancer. Second point is? Saved by faith versus R? Illustration is? Chair. Concluding question, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Okay, you almost got it. Let's try it again. Begin with the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how I can know for sure going to heaven? Bad news and then what? Good news. Two points, two what? Verses, two what? Illustration, yellow down. Everybody. First point of bad news. Verses. Illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Penalty's death versus? From 623 illustration is? Raises. Good news, point number one. Christ died for you versus 5A illustration is? Cancer. Second point is? Saved by faith versus R? Illustration is? Chair. Including question, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? If you've not been able to tell, I'm convinced. Repetition is the art of learning. One time a pastor introduced me by saying, no, Larry's going to come and give his message. If he says something, you don't get it, don't worry about it. He'll say it again. If he says the second time you don't get it, don't panic. He'll say it a third time. If he says the third time you don't get it, don't worry about it. He'll say it a fourth time. But if he says the fourth time you don't get it, yeah, better pay attention. He's only going to say it two more times. <laughs> I believe in repetition. Now, when I go through this with the lost person, I do just like this with you. 
I read everything else. I let him read the verses. I say, good, read that verse he reads. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I read everything else. Let him read the verses. The advantage of the booklet, if he comes to Christ, if he doesn't, you leave the booklet with him. Now, you also got a bookmark. May I suggest you put this in your Bible. And every time you have your Bible study, if you have the bad news, good news, keep it fresh in your mind. This is not for unbelievers. This is for unbelievers. This is for you. You put in your Bible and you do the bad news, good news every time, anywhere. But I could keep here all day, I mean all day, telling you about people who love Jesus Christ using bad news, good news. I flipped to Oregon. A doctor came up to me and said, I really wanted to meet you. Because years ago, your ministry taught a doctor friend of mine how to share Christ using your bad news, good news approach. And he used that to lead me to Christ. I want to thank you for the part you played in my salvation. And the point is, learn a method. Okay, now, back to your handout, number three. What's the third problem, number three? I may not be able to answer there. Now, you know how filled in, was it? There what? Questions and what? Questions and? Questions and? Questions and? Questions and? I've got to leave tomorrow morning. <laughs> questions and? 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 Somebody said it. Objections. Questions and objections. I don't believe there's a God. Christians are hypocrites. I don't believe the Bible. I don't think Christ was what he said he was. That stuff so intimidates us. We'll pray say anything to anybody, anywhere. Now, with that in mind, what's the problem, number one? A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. You say, Larry, what do you mean by that? Here it is. God is not asking you to defend the gospel. He's only asking you to declare it. God's not only asking you to defend the gospel. He's only asking you to declare it. I love this book. There is not one verse in this book that says, can you defend me? He says, will you declare me? Now, you know what I find interesting about that? Do you know who leads more to Christ than anybody else? Our brand new what? Christians. Know what's interesting? They don't know anything. <laughs> All they know is Christ died for me. And they tell him, him, her, her, and lead a whole world to Christ. God is not saying, can you defend me? God's saying, will you declare me? Okay, two. A tendency to forget how people walk to Christ. A tendency to forget how people walk to Christ. Now, the next two verses tell you how it happens. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. Their faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you could answer every question, answer every objection, that does not bring people to Christ. They only come to Christ when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel, drives on their heart, causes them to come to God by faith. Larry Moyer has never brought one person to Christ. God brings people to Christ. Don't ever decide that. Okay, three. A misunderstanding, a misunderstanding of why people often ask questions and raise objections. A misunderstanding of why people often ask questions and raise objections. Now, why do they? Basically, two reasons. They have not received the clear presence of the gospel. Make the gospel clear, they have a whole lot less objections. 
It's hard to argue against the fact Christ died for me. And two, B, they are putting up what's commonly referred to as a what? Smokescreen. Not always, but sometimes. All they're doing is repeating something their great-grandfather told them. They've not thought through for themselves. Now, that in mind was solution number one. Take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not the defensive. Now, please notice, I did not say be offensive. <laughs> I said take the offensive. Let me explain what I mean by illustrating what I mean. A Christian man took me to lunch. Well, a non-Christian with him. Non-Christian said to me, I don't know how in the world you can talk about the Bible. That thing is so full of mistakes. I said, well, I've had other people tell me that, but nobody showed me one. Would you be kind enough to do that? Do you realize what I just did in 10 seconds? I went from defense to offense. He said, I don't have my Bible with me. I said, that's okay. I have my pocket New Testament here. We can just use that. And I pull out. Now, at this point, he starts to perspire. <laughs> he said, I forget what book it's found in. I said, I understand that. Six, six books in the Bible. Let me name them one at a time. And maybe when I get the book where your mistake found, it'll ring a bell. Genesis? What about Exodus? I did not get any from the biggest. He said, now, wait a minute. I have never read the Bible. I said, now I'm so confused. You said, full mistakes. You've not read. Why did you say that? He said, somebody else told me that. I said, suppose you wrote a book. I criticized it without reading it. Would that bother you? He said, yeah. I said, that's what you're doing. You're criticizing a book you've not read. If you're going to criticize it, read it. Before he left, he agreed to get together with his friend once a week to start studying the Bible. You take the offensive, never take the defensive. Okay, now with that in mind, um, number three, number two. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Now remember, the Bible is six books, the gospel is ten words. Why are those ten words again? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. When Russia first broke open, a woman who went with us to Russia led her husband to Christ at home using the bad news, good news. He told me to my face. He said, Larry, what brought me to Christ is she wouldn't get off the gospel. <laughs> I brought up something. She said, that's not the issue. I brought up something else. She said, that's not the issue. I brought up something else. She said, that's not the issue. He said, the thing that brought me to Christ is she wouldn't get off the gospel. You keep your conversations in on the gospel. Okay, number three. Make each situation a learning experience. Make each situation a learning experience. Dawson Trotman, who found an association called the Navigators, once said, they may catch me once, but they'll never catch me twice the same questions. If you don't know the answer, look it up and get ready next time. Now, why is it helpful? Because I've been in it for 49 years. I get asked 10 questions a year. And they're the same old 10. So you learn how to answer them once. You're prepared for that same question every time it comes up. They may catch you once, don't let them catch you twice. Okay, now with that in mind, four. Be willing and unashamed to say, no, you know how to fill it in. What is it? I don't know. Be unashamed to say, I don't know. When you say, I don't know, to a non-Christian, that conveys two things, and they both start with an H. What are the two things it conveys? Humility and what else? Honesty. Humility and honesty. And they're with non-Christians. Be unashamed to say, I don't know. Okay, what's the fourth problem? Don't know how to turn a conversation. Don't know how to turn the gospel. 
Fred, I can answer question objections. It took me two years of evangelism. That's all it took to find out what a big problem this fourth one is. Number four, I don't know where I'd find the time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. I don't know where I'd find time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. What's the number one concern of people in 2022? It's not money. That was 50 years ago. It's time. So, Christians tend to be conscientious people. And they think, well, if I leave some of the Christ, I ought to help them grow. Since I don't time to help them grow, I might as well let them go to hell. <laughs> now, we don't say that. But brothers and sisters, that's what we'll say. If I leave some of the Christ, I'll help them grow. I don't time to help them grow, so I might as well let them go to hell. Now, please don't misunderstand. I want to see people grow. But even if they don't, they're still not going to hell. Please don't confuse any of the Christian life with living it. Because if you do, you will really confuse the gospel. Now, with that in mind, what's the problem? Number one, you have taken responsibility upon yourself that biblically is placed upon the local church. You have taken responsibility upon yourself that biblically is placed upon the local church. If you need someone to cry, don't time to help them grow. See Pastor Bob. Because somebody here today has a time. There's no way I could follow everybody to Christ. God did not expect me to. I love this book. This book plainly teaches that follow-up is a job of a local church. So if you need someone to cry, don't time to help them grow. See your pastor. Of course, somebody here today does. Okay, number two. You may have failed with your time resources from heaven backwards. You may have failed with your time resources from heaven backwards. You say, Larry, what in the world do you mean? Look at those next verses. Was our hope or do our crowd rejoicing? Is not even you in the press of Christ that is coming? You are our glory and joy. Before you go to bed tonight, take five out. Now try to remind each other to take five out. You just died. You're face to face with Jesus. What will you wish had been the most important things in your life? Whatever they're going to be then, make important now. Live life from heaven backwards. Someone has well said, most important things in life are not things. Christ died for people. Are you living for things? You might have more time than you think. Okay, two. You have overlooked a foundational principle of follow-up. A new believer needs you more than needs your knowledge. A new believer needs you more than need your knowledge. People got to follow up. Don't have big heads. They've got big hearts. It's not how much do you know. It's how much do you care. It's your presence. Not your Bible knowledge. That makes a difference with non-Christians. And number four. You've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. You've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. Our association has different things. You don't, don't know about bondage and Christian resources. Today, all it takes is one index finger to stop a new convert. Turn on the tape, turn the page of your workbook, two, you can learn and grow together. It takes one index finger to stop a new convert. That's all it takes. Okay, B, what solution? Number one, arrange me with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. Arrange me with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. We'll find another believer to do the same. The best thought there is is somebody meets them once a week for eight weeks. That's the best thought there is. 
It's your presence that makes the difference. And two, let the abundant availability of resources help you. The abundant availability of resources help you. Our ministry has three things. Welcome the family, grow in the family. 31 days to living as a new believer is now being used to disciple converts in maximum security prisons. It's a 31 thing. I wish you had told me that night on the dairy farm I trusted Christ. I'd have taken off like a rocket. And that is getting such a reception among new believers. 31 days to living as a new believer. When they come to Christ or outreach, that's the first thing we put in their hands and they're growing as a result. Now, what I have, whatever you do, don't miss what I have in bold print there at the bottom. Well, say it together with me, will you? The issue is never, are you afraid or, what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? Again, together. The issue is never, are you afraid or, what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? When you stand for Christ, you're rewarded. It'll be embarrassing to say, I was afraid. That's why I never mentioned your name. It'll mean everything to say, I was afraid. And you know how you help me overcome those fears and see how abundantly reward you. The issue is never are you afraid, what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? Now, one thing in closing. One time was a boy walking on the seashore. He saw gobs of starfish. He picked them up and started throwing them back in the water. A man came along and he said, what are you doing? And the boy said, well, I'm saving these starfish. And the man said, you can't save all those starfish. There are thousands of starfish. You can't save all those starfish. The boy picked up one starfish. He looked at the man and he said, I may not make a difference in every starfish, but I'll make a difference in this one. And he threw it back into the water. You will not lead everyone in Oklahoma to Christ. But if you need one person in your life, first of all, you'll never recover. There's no recovery knowing the man. And secondly, you'll go to the grave. Part of the 5% of all Christians who need someone to Christ says 95% who don't. Studies have proven 5% of all believers ever lead someone to Christ. 95% don't. You know why they don't? They're not talking to anybody. Because you can't talk to people consistently in 2022 without leading someone to Christ. And for that reason, I say the issues. Now you're afraid, what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? You know what my burden is for you, brothers and sisters, I've come to love sincerely? I don't want this to be a church that talks about the lost. Because if you do, Nobody's going to come to Christ. I want you to be a church that talks to the lost. Because that's when people come to Christ. Don't talk about the lost. Talk to them. All God's people ought to say, Amen.